We are in a series called Awaken, Coming Alive Through Worship. And uh, we have been teaching on all different aspects of worship. The last two Sundays, we've been teaching on prophetic worship and what happens when we have a prophetic worship team and God begins to stir in the midst of worship. And then last week, we looked at the manifest presence of God. If you, if you never knew what that meant before, we taught that last week and we looked at the power of the presence. And so if you missed any of those messages, you can get those on our website. Uh, you can get those on our podcast. But today, we're going to continue in this series, and the title today is, I Am Who You Say I Am. I Am Who You Say I Am. Reminds me of that old Popeye movie back in the 80s, right? I am that I am, and that's all that I am. Okay, so that's, I can't help it. I'm a child of the 80s. All right, so I am who you say I am. Here is what I want to address today. I want to address a specific problem that some of us may experience, and some of us may experience it to different degrees. But here's the problem. You come to church on Sunday, you're in the worship service, and you're looking around, and it seems like everybody else is worshiping God really passionately. They're dancing around, their hands are in the air, or they're just kind of meditating in the presence of God, and God is just moving, and you look around, and everyone else seems to be experiencing God and you're not feeling anything, and you want what they have, and you want to try it, but something keeps stopping you. You want to raise your hands, but you're like, I'm not too sure about that, and you aren't experiencing anything, and then we could carry that problem on to not just in the worship service, but just throughout the week. You know you should be doing more things for the kingdom of God, but for some reason, you just have no motivation to do it. So that's, that's what I want to address today. So if you relate to that, then, then hopefully you're excited about what we're going to share today. To illustrate this, what I want to do is um, it was homecoming weekend for Kauai High, and it didn't go so well for the football team anyway. Um, but that's okay. They're still technically in first place. So, um, But it got me thinking about homecoming and back when I was in high school. And when I was in high school, we would have the homecoming football game on Friday night, and then the homecoming dance would be in the gym immediately after the football game. So everybody would just leave the football game and go straight to the dance. And so when I think about myself, the difference between being in the football game and being in the dance. You see, when I'm in the football game, I'm a two-way starter, so I'm on the field all the time. I'm running into people. I'm hitting people. I'm chasing down quarterbacks. I'm getting sacks. I'm getting all hyped up, and I'm jumping around, and I'm going crazy, and I'm hooting and hollering, and I'm sweating, and I'm slobbering, right? I am, I am just a football player, and there's thousands of people in the stands, and they're cheering, and I am just loving it. That's the football game, and then after the game, we shower up, we change, and we go into the homecoming dance. And here's me for two hours in the homecoming dance. Right? I don't dance. I'm not any good at it. Those of you that have seen me dance, you know what I'm talking about, all right? I don't dance. I'm awkward around girls, so I don't know how to ask a girl to dance with me. I don't like the music they're playing, and so I'm just like, for two hours... This is terrible. What am I doing here? So what's the difference? I'm the same guy, but on the football field, I'm going bananas, and in the dance, I'm just standing there. What's the difference? Well, the difference is that when I'm on the football field, 
I am confident in the fact that I am a football player. And because I am confident in who I am, I am free to be as abandoned as I want to be and to give everything I've got. When I'm in the dance, I'm not a dancer. And I'm not a ladies' man. And there is no confidence in who I am. And so there is no freedom to dance. There is no freedom to ask a girl to dance with me. The confidence in who I am changes how I respond in the atmosphere. So how does this relate to worship? Let's go and see what the Bible teaches us. I'm going to read two different passages of Scripture. They're both written by the Apostle Paul, and they both basically say the same thing. One of them he wrote to the church at Galatia. One of them he wrote to the church at Rome. But in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul writes this. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son and if you're a son, then an heir through God, right? And as he's writing this book to the Galatians, what he's dealing with is that the Galatians, they started following Jesus, but then they got caught back up in the legalism of the law again. And they felt like it was really important that they still followed the entire Jewish law. And in the book of Galatians, Paul is trying to correct this. And, and so basically what he does is he says, hey, listen, if you want to talk about this in a legalistic way, we can. So let's look at the legal process of adoption. Because God has adopted you as sons and daughters. And when he adopts you as sons and daughters, you have become a part of his family. You become his children. And as you're becoming his children, he is putting the spirit of his son inside of you to seal the fact that you are his children. Now in Romans chapter 8, he says almost the same exact thing, starting in verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The same thing. He says you are children of God. How do you know you are children of God? Because he has put his spirit inside of you and the spirit of God agrees with the spirit that is in you that you are children of God. And if you are children of God, that means that you are a part of God's family. And if you are a part of God's family, that means that you have access to the full inheritance of God. That is who you are. You are a child of God. Now, what is the immediate response, both in the Galatians and in Romans, what is the immediate response to the understanding that we are children of God? It is crying out, Abba, Father. He says it in verse 6 of Galatians 4. The spirit of his son is in our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. In Romans 8, 15, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. When we know we're children of God, we cry out, Abba, Father. What does that mean to cry out, Abba, Father? Well, the word Abba was an old Hebrew word, and it's kind of interesting that... 
The Bible is translated into English, but for some reason they left that word in Hebrew. Why did they do that? Why, why would they translate every other word in the Bible but leave that one in Hebrew? The word Abba was an old Hebrew word that little children, little toddlers would use to call their father. So if a little kid was running through the streets looking for their dad or they were running through the house looking for their dad, they would run crying, Abba, Abba, Abba. So what does Abba mean? It is the most intimate term you can use to talk to your dad. That's what Abba means. So we could say that that means daddy, right? Is that the most intimate word you could use to, to talk to your dad? So when we know that we're children of God, what do we do? We cry out to God. Now that word cry out, let's talk about that. This is not like a casual contained crying out to God. The Greek word that is translated crying out right there is used several times in the New Testament. It is used for demons crying out to Jesus. We know who you are. The same word is used for the demon-possessed man who was crying out in the middle of the night in the graveyard. The same word is used for a dad whose son just died who is crying out to Jesus to heal his son. So you get the idea. This isn't like a controlled, contained crying out. This is a passionate, this is a desperate, this is a primal crying out to God, Abba, Father. So what does that mean? That means when we live in the awareness that we are children of God, we worship passionately. That's what it means. I wrote it like this, and you can put this slide up, Antonio. I wrote, being confident in your identity as a child of God will release you to worship God with a greater passion and a greater abandon. When you know that you're a child of God, nothing's going to hold you back when you're in the worship service. Because you are confident in who you are, and just the way I looked on the football field, that's the way you can look when you're in church worshiping. Because you are released to worship because you know who you are. And then, of course, the more you engage in worship, just like we taught the last two Sundays, the more you experience the manifest presence of God, and the more you experience the prophetic anointing of God. So what's the problem? What is stopping us from being confident in who we are as children of God? Well, to answer that question, I want to talk with you for a few minutes about the marketing industry. All right? And just to give you an example of the effectiveness of the marketing industry, let's look at a few slogans. All right? I'm going to read a slogan, and I just want you to call out who the company is. You ready? Just do it. There you go. They've been using that slogan since 1988. How about this one for those that are a little bit older? Where's the beef? <laughs> so it was um, 1984, where's the beef? How about this one? Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. M&M's, 1954. 1954, they started using that slogan. Even older than that, how about this one? The Breakfast of Champions. Wheaties, right? 1927, they started using that slogan. Here's another one. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. There you go. Alka-Seltzer, 1971, they started using that slogan. How about this one? Don't leave home without it. American Express. There I heard it. That one was a little tougher. 
They started that one in 1975, but they haven't used it since the 90s, so we didn't catch on quite as quick. And probably one of the more famous ones today, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance, right? Geico. Does Geico not have the best commercials on TV? Oh, my goodness. They are so funny. So here's the thing. Those companies over the decades have spent billions upon billions of dollars just so that you'll associate that phrase with their company. In the marketing industry, there's a term called effective frequency. Effective frequency is the number of times a consumer has to be exposed to a message before the advertiser gets the desired response. They have done research studies, different marketing companies, to determine how many times do you have to hear the same message before you will respond to it the way they want you to respond to it. Most companies go by the rule of seven. You have to see the same message seven different times, maybe even on seven different platforms. On the radio, on the TV, on a Facebook ad, on the side of a bus, right? You got to see it seven different times and seven different platforms. Some believe that it could be up to 20 times. You got to hear something 20 times before you're going to start to respond to it uh, the way that the advertiser wants you to. Because the reality is this, is that the more often you hear something, the more likely you are to remember it. The more a statement is repeated, the more likely you are to remember it. Also, the more a statement is repeated, the more likely it is to change the way that you think. The first time you hear a commercial for a product, you think to yourself, I don't need that. By the 20th time you see the commercial, you're like, I got to go out and buy that right now. Right? It, the more you hear it, the more it changes the way that you think. And then this one is fascinating. The more you hear it, the more likely you are to believe that it is true. The more you hear something, even if it's a blatantly false statement, the more you hear it, the more likely you are to believe that it's true. It says this, studies suggest that repeated statements are perceived as more truthful than statements made less frequently, presumably because repetition imbues the statement with familiarity. In simple terms, frequency breeds familiarity and familiarity breeds trust. So the more you hear it, the more you trust that it's true. So not only do consumers remember a statement that gets repeated, they're more likely to believe it, and they're more likely to think that it's the popular opinion, even if it's only one person who's repeating it to them. This is fascinating. You're like, oh, well, you know, I'm smarter than that, Pastor. I don't think any of us are. Check this out. In 2015, in the UK, uh, British researchers did a study, and they got 60 adult participants... They got these participants from the university, so most of them were university age, probably young adult, even though some of them could have been older adult university age. And out of these 60 participants, they split them up into two groups of 30. One of the groups of 30, they decided they were going to try to convince this group of 30 that they had committed a crime when they were a young teenager, somewhere between the ages of 11 and 14. The other group of 30, they decided they were going to try to convince this group that they had experienced some sort of really emotional event 
when they were a young teenager, sometime between the age of 11 and 14. Here's the amazing results of this study. 21 out of the 30 participants were convinced that they had committed a crime as a young teenager. And not a minor crime. We're talking about assault, assault with a weapon, or theft. 21 out of the 30 were convinced that they had committed the crime, so much so that they repeated the story back to the researchers, including more than 10 false details that the researcher had made up. And they believed that it actually happened. With the emotional event, 23 out of the 30 were convinced. And this is an event like you were attacked by a dog, you lost a large sum of money, and your parents got really mad at you. 23 out of 30 believed it and told the story back to the researcher with over 10 made-up made details. And you think, wow, what did they do? Did they put them through some sort of brainwashing torture device like they did to the Winter Soldier and Captain America? I mean, what did they do? Know what it took? Three 40-minute interviews. That's it. Spread out one week apart, three 40-minute interviews, and they were able to convince over 70% of the people that something had happened that didn't really happen. So no, I don't think any of us are smarter than that. I just think it's how our brain works. You say, okay, pastor, then why all this talk about marketing? What, what are you getting at here today? Well, here's my answer. Because the enemy is using the same exact tactics to rob you of your confidence and your identity. Our enemy, the devil, uses the same tactics. And I'm not saying that marketing is of the devil. I'm just saying that the devil uses the same tactics. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 3. We're familiar with this story because it's the original sin. And usually when we teach the original sin, we teach that, well, sin separates you from God, right? Well, let's reread the story starting in verse 6. It says, when the woman saw the tree saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So first off, we gather from this that it was pretty common every evening around dinner time that God would show up in his manifest presence and hang out with Adam and Eve. They had that intimate of a relationship with God that every night they walked with God in the garden. But this night when God shows up, now they're afraid. But what I want you to notice is this. Adam didn't say, I was afraid because I sinned. He said, I was afraid because I was naked. Why did Adam hide from God? Because for the first time in his life, he was ashamed of who he was. For the first time in his life, he wasn't comfortable with how he looked. For the first time in his life, he was experiencing shame. The enemy's tactic was not just to bring sin into the world. The enemy's tactic 
was to make Adam and Eve ashamed of who they were so that they wouldn't feel so close to God. And from that day till now, thousands of years later, it's still his same tactic. He wants you to question who you are. He wants you to be ashamed of who you are because he knows that if you're ashamed of who you are, you will hide from God. And if you hide from God, he can have his way with you. Let's fast forward to Jesus. Let's look at the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 3. Starting in verse 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Think about this scene, right? Jesus gets water baptized. He goes under the water of the Jordan River, comes up out of the water. He comes up praying. As he's praying, the heavens visibly open up so that the people have a view of the spiritual realm. Out of the spiritual realm comes the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, lands on Jesus' shoulder, and then a voice booms out of heaven that says, You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. For anybody that was there at that moment, there is no question that Jesus was the Son of God. Then we continue, turning the page into Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And then look at verse 3. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He says, If you're the Son of God, what are you talking about, devil? The heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit landed on him. God spoke in an audible voice, confirming his identity as the Son of God. And yet the devil still wants to get him to question his identity. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. In verse 9, he says, if you're the son of God, jump off this temple and see if God catches you. If he tried that tactic with Jesus, who had the most obvious confirmation that he was the son of God, do you not think he's going to try that tactic with you? If you're the son of God, wouldn't you act a little better? If you were the son of God, wouldn't you be a little more holy? Wouldn't you be a little more loving? If you were a child of God, wouldn't you do this a little bit more? Satan's tactic is to get you to doubt that you are a child of God so that you won't worship him. So let's look at those same three points that we looked at for marketing, but let's look at them in terms of Satan. The more Satan repeats a lie to you, the more likely you are to believe it the more likely it is to change the way you think about yourself and the more you will believe it's true. The same points that apply to marketing apply to us hearing the lies from Satan over and over again. So how does Satan lie to you? Well, first off, let's clarify. Satan is a fallen angel. He does not have the same characteristics as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere all the time, speaking to each one of us individually at the exact same time. Satan cannot. He is a fallen angel. He can only be in one place at one time. So when we say something like, Satan is attacking me, or Satan is tempting me, 
The reality is it's not actually Satan. It's one of his minions, right? It's one of his evil spirits. Unless you're really high up on the hit list that Satan himself comes to you like he did to Jesus because obviously Jesus was pretty high up on the hit list. So when we say Satan, just understand that we're talking about all of his evil spirits because Satan does not have the same qualities as the Holy Spirit. So how does Satan lie to you? One, he speaks into your conscious and subconscious thoughts. He'll speak a lie into your thoughts, and then you'll think that thought over and over again, and that lie continually is repeated every time you think about it. He'll use circumstances that have happened to you in your life to try to define you. Well, you know that your dad abandoned you because you're worthless. Well, you know you failed that class in high school because you're not smart enough to do anything right. Right? He'll take circumstances that happened in your life and use those circumstances to try to define you with a lie. And the third thing is, he'll have other people speak negativity to you. There'll be other people that will speak things into your life. You're not smart enough. You're ugly. You're fat. You're not good enough. Right? And especially when those people are important to you, then you're even more likely to believe the lie. If that person was mom or dad, if that person was a teacher, if that person was a coach, if that person was a close family member, if that person was in church and they speak something like that to you, it's going to cut even deeper and you're going to believe it. So Satan is lying to us so that we won't believe in who we are and if we won't, then we don't worship and we don't experience the fullness of God. So how do we combat this? How do we develop our confidence in our identity as the children of God? Well, the answer is simple mathematics. And that is we hear the truth more often than we hear the lie. It's simple math. It's numbers. It's super practical. It doesn't have to be super spiritual. If you hear a lie 10 times, then you need to hear the truth 20 times. We can just add this up. So what does that mean? That means that either we need to increase the amount of truth that we're hearing and we need to decrease the amount of lies that we're hearing. And if we combine both of those together, the truth is going to start to win out. You're going to start to believe in who you are, and you're going to start to worship like never before. So let's talk about decreasing the lies. First thing is this. Pay attention to what you're taking in and make some changes. What is your source of information? Right? Is it... Is it Facebook? Is it television? Is it movies? Is it music? Start taking a closer look at what you're taking in and what those things are speaking into your life, right? I tell you what, 10 minutes on Facebook can really drag me down and get me angry and get me questioning my place in this world. But 10 minutes in the word of God is going to build me up in truth. So where should I spend my 10 minutes? Start evaluating what am I watching and what is that teaching me about truth and should I continue watching it? What am I hearing? What am I engaging with? Pay attention to what you're taking in. The second thing is we might need to end some negative relationships. There might be some people that are just speaking negativity into your life. 
and you love them and, and you want the best for them, but you just can't be around them anymore. It's just dragging you down too much. And you say, you know what? I'm going to keep praying for you. I'm going to keep believing God's best for you, but right now I can't be around you. And when things change, I hope that we can hang out together again. And the third thing, we might need to close the door to the demonic in our lives. We may have opened some doors to give the demonic some footholds in our life. Right? There's some really obvious things that we may have done, such as um, engaging in witchcraft, engaging in cult behaviors, um, uh, even engaging in horoscopes. Some people might think horoscopes are harmless, but they're in the Bible, that, that they're akin to witchcraft, that we need to close the door to the demonic in our lives. There might be certain beliefs, certain practices that we're doing that we have mixed with following Jesus, but have actually opened the door to the lies being spoken into our lives. So we can take some steps to decrease the lies that we are hearing, but I think we have to be purposeful about hearing the truth for a couple of reasons because number one we're never going to end all of the lies that we're hearing we're never going to be able to end that why because we live in a fallen world because as long as we live in this flesh we're in satan's dominion and he can continue to lie to us so even if we decrease the lies in our lives we're never going to completely eliminate them which means we have to be purposeful about going after the truth because while the lies come naturally the truth does not and let's be honest the lies are easier to believe the lies are easier to believe right if you were having to decide to believe that I'm a messed up, good-for-nothing person that's never going to do anything special, or that I have been handpicked by the God of this universe to bring his kingdom to this world and change lives, which one of those two is easier to believe? The lie. Which means we need to seek the truth on purpose because the lies will come naturally and the lies will be easier to believe. So let's talk about hearing the truth. And I want to invite the worship team to, to come back today. Some real practical steps about hearing the truth. First, read the Bible and seek out verses that speak to who you are. Read the Bible, seek out verses that speak specifically to who you are. And then when you find those verses, write them down and put them places where you will see them every day. So in Deuteronomy, as, as the law was being given to the children of Israel, it says, write it down, write it on the back of your hand, write it and put it in front of your forehead, write it on the doorpost of your house, write it on the gate to your yard, write the word of God everywhere that you will see it. So write it down, stick it on your bathroom mirror so that you see it every time you look in the mirror. Stick it in the kitchen so you see it every time you're doing the dishes or making dinner. Write the word of God down that speaks to who you are and then put it places where you will see it all the time. And every time you read it, the truth is being spoken into who you are. Then memorize some of those verses so you can repeat them regularly. And then you can just make declarations all day long about the truth of who you are. And every time you hear a lie... Declare the truth a few times to cancel out that lie. 
The Bible says I am the head and not the tail. The Bible says I live above and not beneath. The Bible says that I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Right? We can declare who we are. Second thing is this. We need to learn to hear the voice of God. And we can only do that by spending regular quiet time with God. Remember Elijah had to learn to hear a whisper in the midst of a hurricane. That's the challenge of learning to hear the voice of God, is learning to hear a whisper in the midst of a hurricane. Because this world is noisy, and we've got to learn to hear the voice of God. And when we spend regular quiet time with God, God will tell us who we are. I am of the belief that God is always speaking over us. We just don't always hear it. We need to set some quiet time aside so that we can get quiet and hear it. And then when we hear God telling us who we are, we take time to consider our identity. You can meditate on it. You could think about it. But you just stop and start thinking, okay, if I'm a child of God, that means I'm a part of the family of God. What does that look like? What does the family dinner table look like? What does it look like that I get to sit down and God's at the head of the table? What does it look like that I have brothers and sisters in the family of God? What does it look like that I have a a part to play in the family? What does it look like that I have the full inheritance of God? I'm in the will, right? I have full inheritance. What does it look like that I am the beloved of God? You see, if we don't think about our identity as a child of God all week long, but then we just show up at church on Sunday and think that we're just going to be free to worship, it doesn't work. But if you've been thinking about it all week long, I'm a child of God. What does that look like? What is God speaking over me? What does the word of God say about me? Then when we come to church, the truth has outnumbered the lie and we are going to be free to worship in who we are. And finally is this, surround yourself with people that will speak into your identity. Just as much as we need to end some negative relationships, we need to seek after positive relationships. This is part of what the church is meant for, that when we gather together, we can speak into each other's lives. We can speak truth over one another. We can call out giftings and destiny out of one another by by speaking to one another. And I think we all need to get better at that. Me, Me first and foremost. I can't ask the rest of the church to do it if I'm not doing it. That we gather together at church and we begin to speak life into one another. We begin to speak identity over one another. And then you gather together in a small group or in a home group. Or you call up a Christian brother or sister and say, hey, can we go have some coffee? I just need to hear some truth today. And we start surrounding ourselves with people who will speak truth to us. And we're purposeful about it. We don't sit around and say, ah, nobody ever calls me and invites me out. It's your responsibility to hear the truth, so you pick up the phone and ask somebody to come to coffee with you. Don't sit around waiting for somebody to call you. I want to begin to put this into practice today. I want to see some people set free today. And so we're going to start declaring the truth right now. We're going to start speaking who we are. And it's going to start now, and my hope is that it's going to continue throughout your week, that you are going to be motivated and inspired to begin to speak the truth of who you are, to listen to the truth of who God says you are, and that as you are confident in who you are, you're going to be set free to worship like never before. Will you stand with me today?
want to introduce a new song to you. This is a new song by Hillsong. And I told you the title of this message is I Am Who You Say I Am. The chorus of this song declares, Who the Son sets free is free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. We need to start declaring that. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. And then listen to the bridge. I am chosen, not forsaken. That's declaring the truth of the Bible right there. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. That is going to be our rallying cry as a church. We are who God says we are. Amen. Right? Yep. Woo. We are the children of God. We are the family of God. We are heirs to the kingdom of God. We have full access to the presence of God. And no lie from the enemy is going to take that away from us because we are going to declare with all boldness, I am God who you say I am. Come on. Let's begin to declare it today as we learn this new song.